Look at Luke chapter 9. You're going to enjoy this tonight. This is a very wonderful passage. This is about when our Lord was transfigured before three of the disciples on the mountain. It's amazing. The truth that's in these verses. So we'll look at them together tonight and see what we can learn together. I love learning truth from the Word of God. It, it just sets me on fire. It, I love it. It's exciting. But look at Luke chapter 9, verses 27 through 36. Jesus said, I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Now that really got everybody's attention. And they thought, oh my, uh, here's three men. They're not going to die till the Lord establishes his kingdom. That's not what our Lord meant. He was talking about a preview of it. But look at verse 28. And it came to pass after about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, James, and John and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the passion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there taught with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and when they awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. It came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But knowing not what he said. Peter did that a lot. <laughs> he, he left the clutch out on his mouth before his brain was in gear. Yeah. Verse 34. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of the things which they had seen. Let's look at this preview of the second coming, uh, what it's going to be like in, in, in certain ways about when our Lord comes back there and establishes his kingdom. This is wonderful. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I'm grateful that we're all here tonight, and it's such a blessing just to be together. Oh, I love this place, and I love our people, and what wonderful fellowship we have together. Now, Holy Spirit, listen, please, I beg of you, share with us wonderful words of life. You're our preacher, you're our teacher, and reveal things to us, enlighten us, and excite us, and fill us, and thrill us for all the truth you give tonight and bless all the unspoken prayer requests and bless Sunday with a wonderful Sunday school and all that's out ahead of us. And I'll praise you for all you do, for asking in your name and with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. The last time unbelievers saw Jesus, he was on a cross. They never saw him again. They never saw him after his resurrection. No unbelievers ever saw Jesus after his resurrection. Only his children. But when he comes back the second time to the earth, according to Revelation 1, 7, every eye shall see him. Everyone will see him in his glory when he comes back to the earth to establish his kingdom. That's seven years after we're taken up into heaven called the rapture of the church. Our Lord was so gracious in doing this for these disciples and giving them the preview of how it would be when he would come back to the earth the second time. This was the inner circle of the twelve, Peter, James, and John. 
Now listen carefully. It was not that Jesus favored them more or loved them more. It was this. They chose to walk with him more closely and they loved him more dearly. That's why they were in the inner circle. And I want to encourage you and I, you can have as much of God as you want. You can be as close to the Lord as you want. No one can stop that but you. No one else can get between you and the Lord. If they get between you and the Lord, they're closer to the Lord than you are. You ever thought of that? But you can be as close to the dear Lord as you want. Don't ever think, well, I'm not that special. I'm not anybody, you know, that the Lord would really want to be uh, close to or spend a lot of time with. That's just not so. He loves us all exactly the same. But these three would not have it just as a casual relationship. They would not just be rank and file followers of the Savior. No, they walked with him very closely and they loved him very dearly and they received some benefits from that that the other nine did not. Again, not that Jesus favored them more. Oh, that it would be true of all of us that we walk with him so closely and love him so dearly that we would receive all of heaven's best blessings from being close to our Savior. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3.10, and he had been saved a long time. He said, that I may know him. I want to know him more and more as the days go by. Now listen, this is probably the greatest Christian who ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And yet he was not satisfied with his closeness to the Savior, with his walk with the Savior. He wanted to be more intimate as the days, months, and years went by. If the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, said, I want more of him as the days go by, how much more should that challenge us? that I may know him. By the word, by the way, that word know is the same root word where it was said of Adam and Eve in Genesis, and Adam knew his wife. Intimacy. There's the idea. Very intimate with your Lord and Savior. Isn't that something? Best friend, closest friend, Lord and Master. And that's these three fellows were walking close to the Savior, and it allowed them to go up in the mountain with Jesus and see some things the other nine did not see. The purpose of this transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain was to encourage these three men, and hopefully it's still over on the other nine, but Rodney, they'd been through so much, they'd been disappointed so many times, they thought when they were chosen to walk with the Savior that he was going to establish his kingdom very soon, and they'd sit on 12 thrones and rule over the 12 tribes of Israel, but it didn't work out that way. Instead, Jesus kept talking about dying. They didn't understand that. Our king is going to die. That doesn't make sense. A king reigns. A king does not die. But he said, I'm going to be delivered in the hands of wicked men. I'm going to be crucified. And it discouraged them. So he said, I want you to go with me up in the mountain, and I want to show you something. And he took them, and oh, what an amazing scene, and what it did for these men. And Peter talked about this in one of his epistles years later. He said, we were with him in the mount, and we saw him transfigured. They never got, how would you get over something like that? Amazing. And so let's look at this for a few minutes tonight and see what we can learn. First of all, the son's transfiguration. In verse 29, look at it. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. 
Please notice something here. What was he doing when he was transfigured? What was he doing? He was praying. Praying is life transforming by application. No, it won't do for you what it did for the Savior. Uh, it won't cause you to be transfigured like that, but it'll change your life. Prayer is so vital. Prayer is so important. Jesus was praying as he was transfigured. If you want things to happen in your life, if you want to breathe the air of heaven, spend a lot of time in prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you for praying for my dear wife and for that interruption of the Sunday night service and saying, listen, we need to stop and come down here and pray for Miss Wanda. Did you know that changed everything? That worked. We went to the hematologist yesterday and he said, I don't know, but it's all cleared up and you're ready to go. You can have your surgery. You prayed. That's what happened. Do you believe that? Amen. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Prayer changes things. Now, you would have thought Miss Wanda was a Baptocostal yesterday in that doctor's office. She just starts saying, praise God. Oh, praise God. And she couldn't stop, and the doctor couldn't even talk. And finally, he just walked out of the room. But she was just so beside herself, and I was too. This has been going on since last December. Continual pain, excruciating pain, day and night, all the time, since last Christmas. And when you get a word that, hey, you're going to get relief from this, it really means something to you. But all of you, we're prayer partners, and we pray as a family. And I don't know anybody anywhere I'd rather have praying than you. Thank you for praying for Miss Wanda. Prayer changes things. Again, Jesus was transfigured while he was praying, and it'll change your life while you're praying as well. Notice the word glycerine, the last word in verse 29. It means flashing light, radiating light, flashing out of the body, through the clothes of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's absolutely amazing at what happened. Now, notice, if you will, please, the saints' association in verses 30 through 31. Uh, this is the same glory that Jesus will reveal at his second coming. He'll Here, he pulled back the veil of his flesh, and his glory as the Son of God shined through his own flesh. Isn't that amazing? This was God in a human body, and he pulled back the veil just for a moment, and the glory that he had with the Father from the beginning shined through his own flesh. No man can see God in his unveiled glory and live. You would be incinerated. This was veiled. This was just partial. And yet it was absolutely amazing. You remember when Moses was in the mountain and he said, show me thy glory. And he said, Moses, you don't know what you're asking. If you saw me, you would incinerate. But I tell you what, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by, I'll hold my hand over you. And when I leave, I'll pull my hand back and you can see the hinder parts of my glory. And even that, Moses' face radiated with the glory of God. Isn't it glorious to think about how glorious our God is? He's amazing. So here's the sun's transfiguration. This is what happened on that mountain. And these three men saw it. How amazing. Now the saints, the fellows that saw this is in verses 30 through 31, uh, Peter, James, and John, and then there's two more showed up. Look at verse 
30. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Now, here's what's going on. Uh, Peter, James, and John were tired. They were asleep. And when they woke up, they saw this magnificent image of the Lord Jesus Christ in his transfigured glory. And then suddenly, here's Moses and Elijah standing there with the Savior. Wow, what an experience. If somebody had seen that today, they'd have wrote a volume, set of books on it, and say, let me tell you what I saw on the mountain. But no, that's not it. It was all about the Savior. All about him and his glory. But Moses and Elijah was there. Phenomenal. And that's why uh, Luke said in verse 30, Behold, this is something unusual, something phenomenal. Here comes these two men out of heaven, Moses and Elijah, down in a physical form, standing with Jesus, and talking about his death. Did you see that? Verse 31, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. They could have talked about anything, everything, but they talked about one thing, and that was Christ being crucified on Calvary. It was the most important thing in all of human history, Christ dying for sinners, that had to occur for us to have forgiveness of sin and salvation. You'd be in jeopardy of hell tonight if Jesus not died for your sins. Right. The most important thing in all the Bible is the fact that Christ died for sinners, redeemed us by his own precious blood. And of all the things they could have talked about, Roger, they talked about Jesus dying on the cross and what it would accomplish. And oh, did it ever accomplish wonderful things. You're forgiven of your sins. That alone is worth praising God for till the day you die. You are forgiven of your sins. Not some of them, most of them, but all of them. One sin would keep you out of heaven if Christ's blood had not atoned for it. But that's not all. You've got the package deal. You get the Holy Spirit living inside you. He's your constant companion. You're never alone, not one single moment. Every millisecond, he is with you. You get that in the salvation experience. And then when you lay down this life, you get a brand new body and you go to a brand new city and you live there for all eternity. That sounds like a good deal to me. Wonderful. That's how people contain themselves thinking about that. But let's look at this a minute. This is interesting. Moses and Elijah were recognizable. Hmm. Does that mean you're going to recognize one another in heaven? Of course it does. Two things. Continuity and perfect knowledge. Continuity means there'll be enough of your physical features, enough of your facial features that you will care to heaven that people will be able to look at you and say, I, I know, yeah, I see you. Continuity. Listen to this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. As we have, this is a very important verse. As we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall bear the image of the heavenly. The Apostle Paul was saying, there'll be enough continuity or similarity between how you looked here and how you look up there that people will be able to look at you and see you. I know what you're thinking. I've got some friends and relatives, and I'm hoping they wouldn't look anything like in heaven like they do down here. 
but there'll be a little bit of continuity there, a little bit of similarity. And not only that, perfect knowledge. You'll have perfect knowledge. You'll know everybody anyway. You'll be able to see them and know who they are because you'll have perfect knowledge. So if anybody ever asks you, you think we'll know each other in heaven? Well, you won't have less sense up there than you do down here. You know each other down here, don't you? You'll know each other up there. Of course you'll know everybody in heaven. Isn't that wonderful? It's going to be a wonderful place, a wonderful time. Get used to the idea. It's going to be marvelous. This is the thing that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why Moses and Elijah? Because they were the two witnesses that God trusted with Israel and their ministry and their history. Moses and Elijah. They're third Bible. And that is the sleeping disciples. In verses 32 and 33. Look at, but Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. Now they were tired. It wasn't that they were uninterested in what was going on. They were just worn out. And all of us get that way sometimes, don't we? Get just tired and weary with life and all the responsibilities. Peter, James, and John were human just like you. They weren't super saints. They were worn out. They fell asleep up there on that mountain. But Jesus didn't take them up there for them to sleep. So they were awakened by this transfiguration of the Savior showing his full unveiled glory through the walls of his flesh. And then there stands Moses and Elijah. And Peter just got, now Peter just got all beside himself. He didn't know what to He said, Lord, my soul, this is wonderful. He said, let's build three tabernacles, three dwelling places. Let's just stay up here. I don't want this to end. But you know what the latter part of verse 33 says? Not knowing what he said. Peter did that a lot. Vance Havner said Peter was the most American of all the disciples. He just didn't think before he spoke, and it got him into a lot of trouble. But here, he just wasn't thinking right. This is not what this was not the purpose of it all for Moses and Elijah to hang around up there on the mountain with Jesus at an indefinite amount of time. We don't know how long this lasted on the mountain. Could last a couple hours, I don't know. But we don't know how long it lasted, but it was to be temporal and passing and here's here's the reason why look if you will at this if you will please down at verse 36 and when the voice was passed this was after the father said in verse 35 this is my beloved son hear him then in verse 36 it says Jesus was found alone that is as exciting as it was to see Moses and Elijah Elijah went to heaven without dying, you know. Went up in a chariot of fire driven by horses of fire. Oh my soul, what a way to go. Up in the glory, driven by a chariot of fire. Moses died and the Lord hid his body to keep the devil from finding it. His body was that important. He was that great of a leader in Israel. And the Lord hid his body and nobody ever found it. But these two men, amazing men, Moses, the greatest leader in Israel's history, led them out of Egyptian bondage, and then Elijah, that great spectacular prophet of fire. My soul, he could, he could pray in fire and come down from heaven. He could pray and the Lord shut off the waterworks and didn't rain three and a half years. Amazing man. But it wasn't about them as great as they were. They were gone back to heaven, and Peter, James, and John saw Jesus 
alone. You know why? There's no one greater than him. Huh? There's no one to compare with him. And Matthew puts it this way in Matthew 17, verse 8, and they saw no man save Jesus only. Oh, to have our eyes filled with his glory, to see him by faith. And it's wonderful walking by faith, but you know what's more wonderful than walking by faith? By sight, seeing him as he is face to face. Won't that be wonderful, Gene? Seeing him as he is, faith will be no more. We'll be there, we'll be looking at the very Son of God, and we can behold him, listen to this, in all of his glory, and we won't be incinerated. You know why? We'll have a glorified body, and we can contain that. That's amazing to me. My, my. And so here it is, the preview of the second coming of Christ. And this is not nearly all, but it's the glorious part of it. And it was to encourage these three men. And if you're here tonight and you need some encouragement, Jesus knows that. Our Savior knows that. He knows how far you can go, how much you can take, how much you can suffer, how long you can wait, what you can go through. He knows every bit of that. And Peter, James, and John were worn out and discouraged and disillusioned because they didn't understand why Jesus kept talking about, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified. And they said, no, you're our king. You're going to set up your kingdom. A king doesn't die. A king reigns. And so they were discouraged and disillusioned. Jesus took them up in the mountain and gave them some real encouragement. He knows how to do it. He knows you inside out. He puts you together. He knows which buttons to push to get your attention. And then he knows how to lift you up. Isn't that wonderful? He's a personal Savior. I love it. So he lifted these men up and encouraged them. And again, years later, Peter wrote about it and said, We were with him in the holy mountain. We saw him. Peter never was the same after that. But remember... Jesus was praying when he was transfigured. And if you want a transformed life, and I do, boy, I need to make more prayer. I want my life transformed every day into the image of God's dear Son and be more and more like him and less and less like me. How about you? So here's a preview of the transfiguration. He's coming again the second time. We'll be in heaven seven years before that happens, and we'll come back with him. But isn't it wonderful? He's coming back as he promised. Let me ask you a question. Did he come the first time? Is it documented? Can we prove he came? Oh, yeah. There's more documentation that Jesus came the first time than there is that George Washington was the first president of the United States. That, that's a known fact. That's documented. He came the first time. Even scoffers and infidels will acknowledge this. There was a historical figure named Jesus. He did live in Palestine. Now, we don't believe he's the son of God, but he did live. He was here. So he came the first time. So it stands to follow he will come the second time, right? No doubt whatsoever. And all God's people said, Amen. I love it. Let's stand if you will, please. Here's a preview of the second coming. Now pray and work and let's get people in here for Sunday morning. This is a good crowd tonight. Thank you for coming. And let's have a good crowd for Sunday school and get the building filled up. My, my. 
I could preach a thousand sermons and it wouldn't stir you as much as seeing this building filled with capacity. That's the truth. And so work at it, work at it. Let's all work at it. Let's pray and be dismissed and thank God for the evening together. Gene, would you pray for us, please? Thank that we all should be more in tune for what you want to do in our lives, oh Father. And in prayer, we pray for this church and strive for the following in your name, oh Father. Pray for this fish of the church and for your blessings upon us. And we give you the praise and the glory. Praise and peace. Amen.